Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. (laughs) Since some of you didn't get as much sleep last night as you normally would, I wanted to start today with a really easy question, okay? This is a yes or no answer, and I want you to think about it and turn to somebody beside you and, and answer it, um, if, if you will. Is Jesus like us? Is Jesus like us? Turn to somebody and just tell them yes or no, what do you think? Okay, I think that's long enough to say one word. So, how many of you said no? Yeah, if you said no, that you're you're on you're on to something. I mean, he he's the son of God. He's God eternal. He's perfect. He was perfect. He he is very different than us, right? He he is not like us. So, if you said that you spoke correctly, how many of you said yes? Well, you know what? You also spoke correctly. <laughs> because while he was fully God, he at the same time was fully human. He got tired. He got hungry. He, he lived. He walked. He breathed as a human being. So the scripture teaches that he was tempted in every way as we were, but without sin. So, so you, you had a good thing. Now, did anybody else answer differently? <laughs> did anybody say yes and no? That's probably the best answer. <laughs> he is very much like us and very different from us. And I think, I don't know for sure, but I think if the average Christian makes an error it's probably more on the side of thinking, oh, he's so different from me because he's the son of God. Now, this is always important for us to understand who Jesus really was and is, but maybe nowhere more important than in the area of prayer. So as you've already heard today, we're, we're beginning our 40 days of prayer and The theme is a prayer life like Jesus, and we're going to look at the way he prayed. Now, today, it's more about just his actual habits of prayer, but for each of the next six Sundays, we'll look at one of the prayers he actually prayed, and we'll learn how we can pray based on that. And and if you get one of these guides all week long, you can be studying and reading and engaging, and then you'll be really ready to hear what's going to happen on Sunday. But if we think for one minute that, oh, you know, that was Jesus after all. And therefore, somehow his prayers or prayer habits are not relevant to me, we make a grave mistake. He was Fully 
human. Look at Hebrews 2 and 3 sometime and, and get a grasp of how human he was. And it, this is so important. And today we're going to start by looking at Mark chapter 1, verse 29 to 39. I want to read that for you. This will be our text for today. We're going to hone in really on verse 35 that's in the middle of all of it. But I want to give it all to you for context's sake. As soon as they left the synagogue... They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick, And demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, And went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This is right in the middle of all of that activity, that incredibly full day. Rather than sleeping in the next morning, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him... They exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So God's word for us this morning is this. Jesus' example shows us that prayer allows us to be spiritually connected and directed. Prayer allows us to be spiritually connected and directed. Isn't that what you want for 2023? Don't you want to be connected to God? Don't you want to be directed by God? That's what Jesus' example shows. That's what his prayer life shows us, that through prayer, We can be both spiritually connected and directed. Now, I want to make a qualification right up front and say this, that spiritual connection begins with an initial connection the Bible calls salvation. So it's January 1, and sometimes at the very beginning of January, people start assessing what they want to do and be in the next year, and some people who really aren't believers in Jesus Christ yet, but know that there's something there will attend. So if, 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 if that's you today, if you're here in person, or if you're watching us online and you're wanting to be connected with God, I don't want you to hear the message incorrectly this morning. I don't want you to think that, oh, okay, if I just pray a lot, then if enough prayers I make, 
then I'll somehow be a Christian. I'll be connected to God. The Bible is really clear that all of us are not connected by God by nature. We do wrong. We sin, what the Bible calls it. We're separated from him. And Jesus, the perfect son of God, wanted to take care of that problem. So he came. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death, a death on, on, in which he was paying our wrong He was buried. He rose again three days later. Now he lives in heaven and he invites everyone to believe in him and receive him, to turn away from your life of sin and turn in faith to him and be saved. That's what the Bible calls salvation. That's where spiritual connection starts. I hope you have been in, or you have encountered him in that way, you are connected to him that way, that's where it starts. And I invite you to open your heart to him today if you're not yet connected. Now, I am assuming for this message that those that are looking into God's word today and looking to learn from Jesus' prayer life have already begun that initial phase of connection. You are already a Christian. But again, if you're not, we welcome you and we invite you to come and explore and certainly to open your heart. But how about for those of us who do know him, what can we learn about prayer from Jesus' prayer life? There are three things that we can learn from this passage and as we look at his whole, his whole life. The first one is prayer is not just for those who are not busy. <laughs> Prayer is not just for those who are not busy. Somehow, there are a lot of lies out there that Satan puts in our minds because he's pretty much happy. We can do almost anything. He just doesn't want us to pray. And somehow this one lie is, you know, uh, prayer and, and significant prayer is, is it's just for the, the people over there, whoever those people are that aren't busy, right? That's, that's what prayer, that's who prayer is for. It's, it's for the ones who aren't busy. I mean, I've got a job, I've got a family, I've got children, I've got school, I've got this, I've got that. But prayer's not just for those who are not busy. Let's look again at the verses that lead up to verse 35, and this sets the context. The, if you compare it with the parallel account in Luke, you realize that the previous day was, was a, a Sabbath in Capernaum, and, and Mark puts this near the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So he's setting out a habit of Jesus, and it says, as soon as they left the synagogue where Jesus had, had, had taught and spoke, they went with James and John at the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and immediately they told Jesus about her. So, so they went to her, took her hand, and helped, and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. I mean, think about it. On this day, Jesus had been in the synagogue. He had taught in the synagogue service. He had been approached by a demon-possessed man. And then after that, we pick up in our passage and he goes to... Simon's house. He heals the mother-in-law. And now it's a small town and people start hearing about it. People have seen it. And it's like, okay, hey, all you sick, let's go. 
let's go. They bring the sick people. They bring the demon-possessed. I mean, it's, it's a long day. It's a busy day. It's not a quiet, relaxing day in Capernaum, Saturday in Capernaum. <laughs> no, it's busy. It's nonstop. It's wide open for Jesus. And verse 34, Jesus healed Many who had various diseases, he also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. In spite of all of this activity, in spite of the people that were being healed, in spite of those who were being freed from demons, Jesus withdrew to pray. Jesus knew that he had to be alone with God. He knew he had to go to a solitary place. And this is the secret of his life and ministry. Unlike us, Jesus was never too busy to pray. I confess there are times that I feel like I'm too busy to pray. Anybody else with me? Martin Luther reportedly said, I got so much to do today, I have to pray for three hours. (laughs) I confess I've never said that and meant it. (laughs) If we use today's vernacular, Jesus knew how to set boundaries, not selfishly hoarding time for himself, but he knew that he needed that intimacy with God the Father. He needed that communion with God, that time with him and the Father only. And so he got up early and did it. Our tendency, I think, is when we get busier, we pray Less. And what happens is, as the spiel, as the, the wheels, the wheels keep spinning faster and faster, we feel we're still doing the activity, but we feel less and less connection with God and we go empty. Second lesson we learn from Jesus' prayer life is that creating time alone with God, regular time, alone with God is the path to communion with God. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It's not like a big ritual you need to go through. It's like a relationship with any person. You talk to them and they talk to you. That's how you build fellowship with somebody. That's how you build connection with somebody. You spend time with them. You do things together. And as You want to talk to God, that's prayer. And you want God to talk to you, that's the scripture. Regular time alone with God. Look what the verse says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Let this verse sink in. Don't don't rush past it. There's a lot of activity happening all before it. A lot of healing and motion and people calling for him and all kind of things. But in the middle of it all, rather than sleeping in, rather than catching us breath, so to speak... Very early in the morning, while it was still dark. You know how Eastern cultures tended to 
build their schedules around the light. You know, go to bed when it gets dark, wake up when it gets light. Not Jesus. (laughs) Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he went off, he left the house. He left the house. (laughs) He knew that there was going to be motion in the house. There was going to be noise in the house. There was going to be distraction in the house. There were going to be people in the house. He loved people, but he couldn't be with people all the time. So he left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Sometimes people serve and serve and serve and their connection with God is suffering a bit. And so they think, oh, I'll just have to stop serving. Jesus didn't stop serving. He continued to serve. He just ramped up his fellowship with God, his connection with God, and continued serving out of that. And, you know, this is not rare for Jesus. There are 15 times in the four Gospels that we see Jesus praying. And out of those 15, uh, Matthew cites three of them, Mark and John cite four of them, and Luke cites 11 of them. We're looking at Mark's account today. But I want us to look at a handful of verses in Luke just to get a picture. And I think out of all the Gospels, Luke tends to stress Jesus' humanity maybe a little bit more than some of the other ones. And I think that's why Luke, over and over, keeps showing us times that Jesus prayed. So, for instance, taking a peek here, Luke chapter 5, verse 15 to 16, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Do you notice the word there in verse 16 that appears after Jesus? Often. It was a habit. It was his habit. He knew that if he was going to be around a lot of people, he would be interrupted. He would be called upon. He would have to engage. So he withdrew to to pray. He faced never-ending needs and never-ending opportunities, but in the midst of all of that, he ensured that he had plenty of time for private prayer. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, in context, it's interesting what comes before this and right after it. Before it, he has a, some exasperating experiences with the religious leaders who were criticizing him. And afterwards, look at the very next verse. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. So before he was going to choose the 12 that would be the apostles and be the foundation of the church, he spent the night praying to God. And then later in the chapter, he teaches God's word, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. One more, Luke chapter 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. I think his disciples were attracted to him because of his prayer life. They saw what he was doing, and it's like, wow, Lord, will you teach us? There's a short pamphlet you may want to Google when you get home. Um, 
it's, it's free, it's on the internet, it's an older writing uh, by a man <clears throat> named S.D. Gordon called Jesus Prayer Habits. And he summarizes Jesus' connection with God. Listen to what he says. How much prayer meant to Jesus? It was not only his regular habit, but his resort in every emergency, however slight or serious. When hard perplexed, he prayed. When hard pressed by work, he prayed. When hungry for fellowship, he found it in prayer. He chose his associates and received his messages upon his knees. If tempted, he prayed. If criticized, he prayed. If fatigued in body or wearied in spirit, he had recourse to his one unfailing habit of prayer. Prayer brought him unmeasured power in the beginning and kept the flow unbroken and undiminished. There was no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity, no temptation that would not yield to prayer as he practiced it. Shall we not, too, ask him daily to teach us how to pray and then plan to get alone with him regularly so that he may have opportunity to teach us and we the opportunity to practice his teaching? Now, I do want to say something. I do want to make a note here, a qualification. Jesus was a single man, and he was an itinerant. So those are some ways in which he's different from most of us today. His situation is somewhat different. I do not, I am, when, we, when I'm showing you how much Jesus prayed and how much it meant to him, I'm not doing it so you'll feel bad about yourself, okay? I'm not doing it so that you'll compare yourself in an unhealthy way with Jesus. I'm not asking you or me to have the same exact prayer life that Jesus had. That's not the goal. The goal is to look at it and be inspired by it and to be motivated by it and helped by it. Does that make sense? How many of you are still awake on New Year's Day? All right. Now, prayer is not just for those who are not busy. Prayer is for everyone. Secondly, creating regular time alone with God is the path to communion with God. And finally, prayer is indispensable for spiritual focus, direction, and power. Let's look at verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they had found him, They exclaimed, and I wish I could have heard exactly how they said this. I think they said, everybody is looking for you. I think that's the way they said it. Because the word look for is a strong word in the original language. It means to look for diligently. The image is they've got a manhunt out for Jesus. (laughs) Remember, he's been healing. He's been casting out demons. And it was a great day on that Sabbath day, and now it's the next day, and they wake up, get the sleep out of their eyes, and look around. Where's Jesus? We can't find Jesus. And look at all these people. People are looking for him. And so they, they, they do a search party. I, 
I don't know it's early in Mark. Now, the Gospels aren't 100% chronological, but Mark does choose to present this early in his Gospel. And so it seems like maybe the disciples yet don't understand how important communion with God is for Jesus. And so they go looking for him and they're willing to interrupt him. And they say, everybody is looking for you. Most of the time, this phrase, looking for, in the Gospel of Mark is, has some of a, a, something of a negative connotation to it. So, for instance, in Mark eleven eighteen, the chief priests and teachers were looking for a way to kill Jesus. Or Mark 14, 1, Judas sought or was looking for a good time to betray Jesus. Or Mark 14, 55, the Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence about Jesus. You know, we even today can look for people in a positive way or a negative way, right? So let's just say you get good news. You get the promotion at work that you wanted or uh, the medical test comes back and it's negative. You feared it might be something bad. Or maybe you, you get your acceptance letter into college, the college that you want, and you hear about it. And, and so what are you going to do? You're going to look for people <laughs> to tell them that good news. Well, let's just say, on the other hand, you're a parent and you come up into the house, you walk into the house and, and you see muddy footprints down the hall, all across the carpet, you're going to be looking for somebody, right? And it's not probably to pat them on the back in that moment. I, I think they're looking for Jesus was more this latter type, like Jesus, everybody's looking for you. They want him to come back and do more miracles. They don't fully grasp who he is yet. But look how Jesus responds in verse 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Apparently, they liked this Jesus because of his miracles, not his teaching. And maybe the disciples have been affected by this somewhat too. But Jesus will not cave in. He will not give in to what the crowds want for him. He knew why he came. And he came not just to go to one place. He came to preach in the other places. And it's like, I'm going to go, let's go throughout Galilee and preach the message of the kingdom. Now, admittedly, there's there's nothing grammatically here in the text that proves 100% that Jesus' announcement of his plans to travel through Galilee was directly caused by this time in prayer. However, the way that Mark frames these verses and how Jesus responds to the disciples when they interrupt his prayer time make it clear that whether he had already determined 
ahead of time to go through Galilee, or he had freshly come to that conclusion, his prayer time was essential to him. And for us, we need spiritual focus. We need spiritual direction. We need spiritual power. And that's where prayer comes in. Remember what we're learning today. Jesus' example shows that prayer allows us to be spiritually connected and directed. Do any of you have a basset hound for a pet by any chance? All right, I want to tell you about a basset hound named Tattoo. Years ago, a newspaper article came out in Tacoma, Washington, talking about Tattoo the Basset Hound. It seemed like Tattoo thought he was going out for an evening walk, but he ended up on an evening run because, unfortunately, for Tattoo, his leash got accidentally closed into the car door. And here goes the car off with Tattoo following along very rapidly. There was a police officer on a motorcycle named Terry Filbert. He, he noticed a vehicle pass him that looked like it was dragging something behind. So he sped up and caught up with it and he, and he, and he found tattoo and the car. And he said he was picking them up and putting them down as fast as he could. He chased the car to a stop. And the dog was rescued. The dog was okay. He rolled over a few times, but he was okay. And reportedly, Tattoo wasn't too anxious to go out for evening walks for a while. (laughs) Do you ever feel like your pace of life is like tattoos? (laughs) It's like, man, pick them up, put them down. It's going faster, and it's never going to slow down. Life is busy. And it's not just the number of activities. It's often it's how we are in our spirit, I think. Jesus was busy and he was productive without being hurried. There's a difference between being busy and being hurried. Jesus was full of activity. But he also engaged with God the Father to have communion with him, and and that kept him from being hurried. Eugene Peterson says, I can be active and pray. I can work and pray, but I cannot be busy and pray. So I want to wrap this up by just giving some prayer tips. Maybe through the 40 days we'll, we'll give some tips. I think these tips today relate to the the types of things we're talking about today as we look at Jesus' prayer life as an example for us. And the first one is this, establish regular times and places to connect with God. You know, we make appointments for things that are important to us. And whether you actually put it on your calendar or not, it's a great thing to do to think of your appointment with God as an appointment. Right To block the time off, I can almost guarantee you from unfortunate bad experience that if you just say, well, I'll pray when I can work it in, 
sometime this week or today. Or I'm going to spend some time with God if I feel like it or I'm really feeling really close to God. I can almost guarantee it's not going to happen if you approach it that way. But, but establish a place. Establish a place. Establish a time. And having a place, a specific place or places that you go to, it adds rhythm to life because when you, when you get to that place, you know why you're there, right? I mean, when, when I go to the dinner table, I know why I'm there. <laughs> and there are certain places in my house and in my neighborhood that I go to to be alone with God. I've, I used to run a lot. I'm, now I swim. Three days a week I swim, sometimes four, but I've got a regular pattern of three days a week, and I feel like it's, it's really doing a lot of good for me. But almost every morning, I'm not like saying, yippee, I get to go swimming now. You know, it's especially in the winter, it's cold, and you've got to get dressed, and you've got to go to the place where the pool is, and you've got to do all that. But when I finally do all that and actually get in the water, it's only a lap or two, and I'm, I'm happy I'm there. And time with God is that way. It's not going to just happen accidentally. It's, it's we create regular times to spend with God, just like it's an appointment. Now, what if you have young children? Some of you are thinking, how in the world? I can't, I can't even brush my teeth and... In quietness, I think this is where spouses can help each other, and they can trade off. Hey, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be responsible for the tribe right now, so so you can have some time, and and then we'll take turns or something like that. I think young moms uh, who are caregivers for young children face the greatest challenges in this area. No, no question about it. But establish some regular time and help each other with it. Number two, uh, practice solitude. Get away from people. Get away from noise. Get away from distractions to be alone with God. And that's, that's what matters. It's just being alone with God. It doesn't matter as much how you structure it. It's, hey, God, here I am. Dallas Willard in The Spirit of the Discipline says, Solitude is the most fundamental discipline in the spiritual life. In solitude, we find the psychic distance, the perspective from which we can see in the light of eternity the created things that trap, worry, and oppress us. And the incredible yet simple truth is that you and I can be just as in tune with God the Father as Jesus was as a human being. Get alone with him. Number three, speaking of caregivers, some of you might think, that's me. I love that picture. <laughs> don't, don't beat yourself up or compare yourself with others at different life stages. Give yourself a little grace. Again, this is not to try to make anybody feel guilty or like, i got to do it exactly like so-and-so. Life has stages. Life has situations. 
And sometimes if you're a caregiver, like with young children, or maybe a, a person who's ill and, you, and it's, and it's in requiring extra time of you, maybe you might have to take more advantage of things like the time in the car or the time waiting in line. <laughs> um, we, we spend a lot of time waiting in line in our life. Let, let's go to number five, and I'll come back and finish with number four. Number five is try different postures and approaches to keep it fresh. This might surprise you as your pastor, but rarely am I on my knees praying in my quiet personal time with God. Now, I do that sometimes, and I'll do that here and in church. I I like to walk. I, I like, if I can, to be outside. And I think having a changing things up, having a place, and maybe your place is a path that you walk, maybe it, whatever. But but try different ways. And one way that maybe you haven't tried ever or recently is journaling. Every week in the forty day of prayer guide, we at the end of the week we give a blank page that's for you to journal. And this kind of journaling is not like oh I'm going to report everything that happened, but actually take pen and paper and just start writing your prayer to God. If, if you haven't done that, that's a great way to really focus, just to write it out. Even, yes, by long, you know, if you can find a pen or pencil and get your fingers to work again, that's a great thing to do. Journal. And now number four, make your phone your prayer friend instead of your distraction or enemy. Make your phone your prayer friend instead of your distraction or your enemy. How many of you own a phone? How many of you will admit it's a distraction? (laughs) We use phones for a lot of reasons, right? To stay in touch with people. Text, video, call, social media, mobile banking, mobile gaming, online shopping, you name it. Those are some of the most important ones. A few months ago, this year, well, not this year anymore because it's 2023. In 2022, uh, a TV streaming and internet expert expert wrote an article on uh, reviews.org in which they surveyed Americans 18 and older about their cell phone usage. And there were a lot of interesting statistics about what the, how the average American uses this. 71% of Americans say they check their phones within the first 10 minutes of waking up. 61% have texted someone in the same room with them. No confessions necessary right now. 45% say their phone is their most valuable possession. But check this one out. Now, there's a bunch of stats there, but check this one out. On average, American check, Americans check their phone 344 times a day. That's once every four minutes. Let that sink in. Once every four minutes, the average... Now, that means some people do it more and some people do it less. 
Every four minutes, I'm checking the weather or ESPN or my Facebook account or whatever. And check this one out. (laughs) Americans spend two hours and I can't even see it myself. Is it 44 or 54? On their phones each day. That's nearly a month and a half out of the year on your phone. Now, why do we bring all this out? Are we, are we anti-technology? Absolutely not. But we want to make it our friend. We want to use it for God's glory rather than letting a good thing become a distraction. Because the truth is, and I'm guilty, it's a distraction. It's a distraction. And it... We, we think, oh, I don't have time to do like Jesus did. I don't have time to commune with God. When am I going to find time? Americans are finding a lot of time right here. Let's make it our friend, not our enemy. And here's a way you can do it. I have a suggestion. I have a practical suggestion. We often suggest this in the 40 days. And I, I'm planning to do it starting today. And that's this, on your phone, put the memory verses that we're doing. We have a memory verse, we have three different memory passages during the six weeks. We're given two weeks to each passage this year. Put those on there, or other passages that we're looking at, or put like prayer requests on here, the names of leaders, elders, pastors, deacons, community group leaders, other church members, and, and give yourself a challenge that when you pick up your phone, the very first thing that you're going to do before you surf is you're going to do that. You're just, it's just like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because somebody just texted me and said, I'm in the same room texting you. <laughs> Yes, you are. (laughs) But it's like, okay, I've got a new plan. And let's admit it, we end up, what's the word about wasting, like dawdling, dawdling, whatever, you know, we, a lot of time can get away from us when we go from one thing to the next to the other. So here's the challenge. Every time I pick up my... Now, obviously, if it's a phone call coming in, you can answer your phone. But when you're going to initiate something, when you're going to just look, when you're going to just search, we're just going to check your Instagram or what the weather is for the eighth time that day, just, just let Scripture... Just, just Even if it's... 15 seconds, but like, oh, yeah, that's that verse. And now do this. And I'll tell you, it it will change. Your phone can become your friend spiritually instead of your distraction. Are you willing to try it? I hope so. Let me close with this. This is an old, old hymn. Almost nobody sings this anymore. I, I think it was the beginning of 1900s. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but 
there's a lot of truth in it. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be, thy friends in thy conduct his likeness shall see. Take time to be holy. Let him be thy guide. And run not before him whatever betide. In joy or in sorrow, still follow the Lord. And looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. Take time to be holy. Be calm in thy soul. Each thought and each motive beneath his control. Thus led by his spirit to fountains of love. Thou soon shall be fitted for service above. Another way to say it is this. Jesus' example shows us that prayer allows us to be spiritually connected and directed. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.